Good morning. So, um, my name's Tim. I'm part of the leadership team here. There's an exodus. Where are you lot going? Okay, if you're, if you're this high, you get to go for milkshakes. Not that high. <laughs> I won't take it personally. All right, well, we're going to... Um, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to read God's Word. That's the Bible together. Uh, so, Jen, if you want to come up and get ready uh, to read that, that would be brilliant. Breaking the tradition that I'm having my own wife read the scripture. <laughs> this. <laughs> um, Lord God, we love you. We love your word. We just, it, it's such a privilege to enter your throne room and, and, and come face to face with you. It's such a privilege to have our sins taken away. It's such a, a privilege to have our lips cleaned and to be sent out. And Lord, we just, Lord, your word is perfect. Your word is true. It always returns fruitful. And Lord, it's also a bit difficult to understand at times. What we're reading today was written to people in Greece thousands of years ago. And we just want to ask, Lord God, that that you would help us understand your word for us today because you've, you've given us these words that were written then and you've seen fit to bring them into, bring them into the Bible. And so we want, we want to understand them. We believe that they're as true for the people in Corinth as they, as they are for the people here in Derby today. So would you help us understand? In Jesus' name, amen. Let me come back to where I started. And don't hold it against me if I continue to sound a little foolish. Or if you'd rather, just accept that I am a fool and let me rant on a little. I didn't learn this kind of talk from Christ. Oh no, it's a bad habit I picked up from the three-ring preachers that are so popular these days. Since you sit there in the judgment seat, observing all these shenanigans, you can afford to humour an occasional fool who happens along. You have such admirable tolerance for imposters who rob your freedom, rip you off, steal you blind, put you down, even slap your face. I shouldn't admit it to you, but our stomachs aren't strong enough to tolerate that kind of stuff. Since you admire the egomaniacs of the pulpit so much, remember this is your old friend the fool talking, let me try my hand at it. Do they brag of being Hebrews, Israelites, the pure race of Abraham? I'm their match. Are they servants of Christ? I can go them one better. I can't believe I'm saying these things. It's crazy to talk this way. But I started and I'm going to finish. I've worked much harder, been jailed more often, beaten up more times than I can count, and at death's door time after time. I've been flogged five times with the Jews' 39 lashes, beaten by Roman rods three times, pummeled with rocks once. I've been shipwrecked three times and immersed in the open sea for a night and a day. 
In hard traveling year in and year out, I've had to ford rivers, fend off robbers, struggle with friends, struggle with foes. I've been at risk in the city, at risk in the country, endangered by desert sun and sea storm, and betrayed by those I thought were my brothers. I've known drudgery and hard labor, many a long and lonely night without sleep, many a missed meal, blasted by the cold, naked to the weather. And that's not the half of it. When you throw in the daily pressures and anxieties of all the churches, when someone gets to the end of his rope, I feel the desperation in my bones. When someone is duped into sin, an angry fire burns in my gut. If I have to brag about myself, I'll brag about the humiliations that make me like Jesus. The eternal and blessed God and Father of our Master Jesus knows I'm not lying. Remember the time I was in Damascus and the governor of King Aratus posted guards at the city gates to arrest me? I crawled through a window in the wall, was let down in a basket and had to run for my life. You, you forced me to talk this way, and I do it against my better judgment. Thank you, Jenny. <laughs> Sorry, um, I, I think I asked Jenny to read to the end of chapter 11, and um, actually, you know, some, sometimes Paul, Paul didn't write his letters in chapters and verses. So he just wrote it as a letter, and then as it's turned up in the Bible, um, it's been put in there, uh, the, the chapters and verse references have been sort of made to kind of make it easier for us to find various bits and, bits and bobs within it. So, if you've been around for the past couple of weeks, um, you'll have heard two really fantastic preachers, actually, um, we've kind of reached a stage in um, Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, his second letter to the church in Corinth, where he's actually having to confront some bad teaching from some pretty good preachers, some pretty slick preachers. And, um, uh, and actually we've had some really fantastic uh, things on that brought to us by Rupert and uh, James in the past couple of weeks. Um, and you know, a common theme that runs through those, those preachers is that, because um, they were really, really good, and if you haven't checked them out, if you haven't heard them, then check them out online, is that uh, they're both teachers. Um, and I think they explained it really, really well. Um, but I think they missed out on a bit of a tradition that happens with teaching in the summer wind-down period, Right? Okay, because I mean, if if school wasn't too distant a memory for you, you'll you'll remember kind of last day of terms like game day, bringing a game, or like that. There was there was one day that my daughter came home from school and she goes uh, near the end of term she goes, we watched a video in every single lesson, <laughs> and actually, that's what we're going to do this morning. All right. Uh, so, Sandeep, would you uh, be able to get the lights for us? Um, the video. Yeah. Um, so, so um, I know. Uh, the other way, mate. The other way. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, 
Uh, I know it's August, I know it's the middle of summer, but I wanted to share with you um, one of my favourite Christmas movies. <laughs> perhaps, well, uh, perhaps in second place to Die Hard. Um, <laughs> so, so we're going to watch Home Alone. Yeah. And, um, and as you settle in for some of uh, the best slapstick movie, uh, moments in, in this film, just let me set the scene for those of you who have been on a different planet since 1990 and ha have never seen the film. Um, uh, Kevin McAllister is uh, the youngest and probably one of the most annoying members of the very large McAllister family. He's eight years old, and um, this Christmas his family have planned to go to Paris for a, um, for a fantastic holiday, and as the name of the film suggests, he's been left home alone somehow. He's, he's been left behind in the very, uh, to be fair, opulent family abode. And this house has got the attention of two local criminals, Marv and Harry, who think the house is just absolutely ripe for burgling. And Kevin sets about defending his family home with a series of extremely creative and imaginative booby traps. So if we watch this film... very much. Uh, we could have the lights back up again if that's alright. Thank you very much Sandy. Um, so you might be thinking I rolled out that clip to show you a young, ill-equipped 
quite creative boy who sees things differently to his opponents and is defending his territory at all costs. But I didn't. I just wanted you to laugh at it, really. <laughs> I wanted you to see how ridiculous the bandits are. They call themselves the wet bandits. They've got this reputation. And, and as the audience knows, we know how it's going to play out. Okay, so uh, I'm, I'm going to spoil the ending for you if you if you've uh, haven't seen it. So put your hands in your ears, probably for the next couple of minutes, um, it, if you don't want to find out what happens. But but um, put yourself in their shoes, right? Uh, I know that Marv actually didn't have any shoes, but but um, but put yourself put yourself in their in their clothes. Um, put yourself in their clothes and imagine that you're going to burgle this house. And I know that actually probably that will be a really foreign concept to you as well. Because, all right, I know there probably in church this morning aren't going to be that many burglars because many of you will be honest Christians. Actually, if you aren't an honest Christian, uh, you're really, really welcome here, actually. Um, please don't nick my stuff, but uh, but you're really welcome. And 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 actually, if you, seriously, like if if you've burgled a house before, and you're here, well done. Actually, that probably took a lot of guts to come into church, and and so so you are really welcome. Or if there's anything else naughty in your background, it's you're really welcome here. Because actually we're just a bunch of Christians who, who, just, who have found that actually Jesus is the only way to get to know God. And he's paid the price for everything that we've done wrong, no, ma- no matter how wrong or how many times. He's paid it all. He's made a way for us to know the Father. So, so you don't have to have all your stuff together to come into church at all. Right, back to burgling houses. Don't get distracted this time, okay? Um, okay, try really hard to imagine that you're going to burgle this house, okay? And you're, you're going to get in there. You're going to get the bit... I mean, you're going to have hours to loot this place because, because the family are away. When you, when you get all the stuff and load it into your van, you're going to be able to sell it on. You're going to be rich for months. That, that is actually worth the risk, of getting caught. But then their problems start. Marv and Harry start to encounter Kevin McAllister and his traps that are morbidly wounding them. Uh, And any reasonable person who knows how films work is going to grasp that actually our game's up. Let's just, come on, Marv, let's go home. Let's get a couple of ibuprofen, probably some paracetamol as well at the same time. Let's try and sleep this one off because we're not going to win. But they push on because they're fools. They're they're in here as the clowns. They're in here as as, as the stupid ones. Do they not... do they not know the kid is going to win? The, the, the force of good is going to win here? It, it's, it's kind of written all over the film. 
So if only I had time to show you about them slipping up on the iced stairs or, or slipping up again on all the micro-machines. Um, they're, they're like toy cars, for those of you who don't remember what they are. Um, um, or being hit in the face by a flying paint can, or, or being attacked by a tarantula. They just don't know when to give up. Ultimately, they're smacked over the heads with a snow shovel and apprehended by the local constabulary. Can you imagine them going to prison and boasting about all the suffering they went through on their way to getting caught? Can you imagine them saying, oh, this kid totally got us. Oh, we slipped up on micro-machines. Everyone in prison would be going, you idiots! What? You, first of all, you got done over by an eight-year-old. Secondly, you didn't know when to give up. And thirdly, you're telling us about it. <laughs> They'll have something worse coming to them, surely. In our passage today, which is from 2 Corinthians 11 and just into 12, Paul is absolutely loathed to start boasting. He says, I can't believe I'm doing this. Ah, but, but the tone that's been brought by the, the false apostles that he calls them, the, the, the slick preachers that have, been, that have come into Corinth, actually means he's got to... He's got to play them at their own game to show them how stupid what they're saying is. So he's loath to start it because he knows that this is just not what Jesus would do. This is Paul kind of having a look at his what would Jesus do bracelet on his hand and going, oh no, I'm not paying attention to it this time. He says, I'm doing this against my better judgment. Because when did Jesus boast? When he was asked to justify himself or receive praise on earth he just stayed silent or turned the question around or maybe even maybe even rebuked it but boasting is not something that Jesus does and actually boasting isn't something that Jesus does because his father says just don't do it like so so when we look in judges um which is just an, a nasty time, bad time for, the, for God's chosen people of Israel. They've been brought out of Egypt and they've, they've, they're in the promised land and kind of things are just going wrong. Like almost every chapter in the beginning of, of Judges goes, again, Israel sinned. Okay, it's just, it, it, it just, it's just going from bad to worse and it sort of gets a little bit better and then worse again. And an angel comes to the weakest guy who's hiding in the weakest tribe, and his name's Gideon. And, he, and it says the spirit clothed Gideon in power. He says, I've got a job for you. I'm paraphrasing this massively. I've got a job for you. You're going to have to get an army together. And so he goes and gets an army together. Okay, 32,000 people. Okay, gets in this army. Brilliant. Okay, that is going to totally overwhelm the attacking force. And then God says to him, mm -mm, 
you have got way too many people in this army. I need you to get this down to 300. I had 32,000. I did really well with getting an army together. Right? You ask me to get an army. Look at this. I've done it. 32,000. Here we go. We're going to totally wipe out the Midianites. Mm-mm, no. You need 300. Why do you need 300? Because if... If you, attack the, if you attack your enemy with, with 32,000, then actually what's going to happen is Israel, the country, is going to say, look how big we are. Look how tough we are. We did it in our own might. We gathered together 32,000 and we totally wiped them out. We are amazing. Aren't we great? He says to Gideon, you need to get it down to 300 so that you go, Wow, can you believe what God did with an army of just 300? Wow, you're going to have to be totally reliant. Totally. You can't boast in your bigness and your toughness, in, in what makes sense in this world. It's just not going to work. That's not how the kingdom, that's not how God works. You know, Jesus says it as well. You, you, can, you can boast in putting, uh, he says, you know, when you give, don't give like the hypocrites do uh, and, and for everyone to see. Actually, keep that between you and God. When, when, you, when you pray, don't do it really, really obviously and shout out your prayers and declare it and make them really long. Yeah, I'm listening to that. Um, uh, and make it really long and do it so obviously like to kind of so that everyone sees how good a prayer you are because actually you'll get what you deserve you'll get the, a bit of praise from people but that isn't going to make any difference in the kingdom so don't boast in the earthy stuff don't don't just look at what's around you don't think that an army of 32,000 is going to make a difference or really really slick preaching and a good show is going to make a difference because that's what Paul was coming at. And they were preaching a very different kind of Jesus after he had left Corinth. They, they were teaching this kind of, <clears throat> probably a bit more familiar, maybe sort of that homely or sugar-coated kind of gospel. But it was dangerous stuff. It was essentially teaching legalism. Like, just apply rules all the time. Be slaves to it. Messages that don't edify, that don't build up, that don't build up the entire church. They were profiteering out of, out of preaching. And it even says slapping people in the face. And I don't know if that's metaphorical or not. But if it, I mean, if it wasn't, that's some kind of like Jeremy Kyle church, isn't it? That would be... That would be bad. Although I have heard the term pastoral baseball bat used before, and it wasn't in the Bible. Um, anyway, so they were, just, they were essentially boasting in the power of a well-constructed argument and how well they could say it, these false apostles or super apostles.
But when the news of how they're preaching and what is being taught in Corinth gets back to Paul, um, and we can have the little extra, the little thing that we've got coming up. It's like Paul says to them, "Ah, oh, you know what? You've you've just you've gone off to the bar. You've you've got you've been distracted by some clever banter, some clever tricks, and you know what? You've just come back with a glass of badly poured froth. The barman's done a really bad job, but he made it look like he was doing it well. So." You've just been ripped off. You've just been absolutely. You've you've paid however much money for um, for a little bit of a show at a bar, but actually you've come back with nothing that you can drink. Nothing that's going to make sense. So Paul is totally loathed to drop in at this level. But he has to in, a, in order to demonstrate the falsehood of what's being spoken at Corinth. And so he comes in. He, co- he goes, right, let's, let's play the race card, first of all. Okay? So, so in, in God's story, initially, a group of people were welcomed in. As, as God's chosen people. They were the Hebrew people. They were called Israel. Well, Paul is absolutely clear. He is a Hebrew. He's like the Hebrew's Hebrew. He knows his, he, he knows his scriptures inside out. He's, he's, he's taught really well. He's kept up with all his sacrifices. He kind of has, has done the thing. But then he met Jesus. And then he launches into what it's like to suffer for taking the message of Jesus out and building churches. And some of these things you'll, you'll relate to, and some of these things you'll, you'll be praising God that you haven't. So hard work for the sake of the gospel. Betrayal. Struggling with friends. Struggling with foes. Sleepless nights. Missing meals. That might have been in prison. He wouldn't have said that in the context of fasting. But if you fast, you know what that's like. Being at risk, maybe in your friendships. Being exposed at work. Knowing the drudgery of working through accounts or being here for setup and teardown or sorting out the church lockup and then there was a whole bunch of stuff at a totally different level there was being shipwrecked and adrift at sea and probably hypothermia and being beaten up and nearly dying and 195 lashes you know there was there was supposed to be some kind of mercy when he says look i had 40 lashes minus one there's supposed to be like 40 is the maximum so there's a little bit of mercy in having one less but actually he had it five times it kind of just totally feeds into this idea. One of the things that Paul says is, you've got this way of doing things, and the way you do it just misses out on mercy and just speaks death. He's been imprisoned. He's been beaten up by rods. He's been pelted by stones. 
I've missed stuff off that list. But you can gather it's extensive and horrible. And whilst in the movies, Marv and Harry, actually, they just get taken away in a police car. Marv had an iron fall, like 15 feet, straight into the face. His face would have just broken at that point. Okay, he he wouldn't he probably wouldn't have survived it. He would have at least been starting a a, a long stint in intensive care. He wouldn't have just shrugged off the ambulance and and been taken away in a police car. But Paul says that he's been through all of this, and this stuff isn't going to. He's not going to go through all of it and be unscathed. So when he writes to the church in Galatia, he says that his body bears the marks of Jesus. So in Corinth, he's saying, look, I've been through this stuff. Actually, in, in, to the Galatians, he says, I'm scarred. I'm actually scarred from what I've been through. And so much of what we have to do when we're kind of, when we're, teaching and, and, and talking through what happened in Corinth is like we haven't got the we haven't got the report from Corinth to Paul saying right this is what's going on so we're just kind of we're trying to work out from Paul's writing addressing what's going on what what were the problems what were they saying one of the things he actually um, specifically responds to in chapter 10 was was directly talk, their talk about being powerful in his letters, but unimpressive and mumbling as he speaks in person. I mean, my, my day job is, is actually helping people speak after they've had nasty bumps on the head. And, and you don't go through having rocks thrown at you and being beaten up it's, not, it's just, it's not like the movies. You see people getting you, being punched and knocked out. Actually, when that happens in, when that happens in real life, that's, that's like extensive, life-changing disability that happens. If you get through that stuff unscathed, you're, you're in this tiny, tiny minority. So, so there's a little bit of supposition that we have to make. We, we, that we don't know, you know, I, the Bible doesn't say, well, he... He had four subdural hematomas. Who knows? Like, he, do, he doesn't say that. But there's good evidence, and Paul says this too, my body bears the marks of Jesus. And the Corinthians were so concerned with the outside, with the presentation, and then they go, but like, he speaks differently when he's in letters. His letters are powerful, and the, the message describes, describes them as brawny and strong. And yet, when he comes and talks to us, he's just this kind of mumbling, unimpressive guy. Still saying the same words, but without that powerful oratory that he's got to, to capture the attention, like maybe some of the other slick apostles do. But they're just, they're just froth and bubble. They're just a glass of nothing. Just of air. Nothing that you can really drink. Nothing that will really refresh and as they raise these, these concerns about Paul, 
he kind of wished that they got how ironic it was. I'm sure Paul did. Let me take you to Isaiah 53. Here's a... uh, This is from the... uh, this is from the ESV. Um, and this is, a pro- this is a prophecy written by Isaiah uh, from, from God. Who, uh, where, and we hear it and we go, this is Jesus, this is Jesus. Okay? I just want you to just put that on hold for a moment and go, yeah, okay, it's Jesus. And is it also Paul? Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. So Isaiah is clearly prophesying about Jesus, our saviour. But ultimately Paul gives his life for this message. He knows it's coming. It's Jesus who he persecuted. It's Jesus who met him. It's Jesus who won him. It's Jesus who sent him out. And nothing is going to stop Paul from taking that message out. He would have seen it as a joy to be classed in the same bracket as Jesus. Because their complaints that he's just mumbling is a bit like them complaining that Jesus had had holes in his hands. By by Jesus' stripes, they are healed. We are healed. And by Paul's sufferings, they got to hear the message. By Paul's sufferings, we got to hear this message. I'm so thankful for Paul. I, I, I thank God for him. Paul would want the Corinthians to see that this is just... Look, I just explained this in, in the first part of my, of my first letter to you. In 1 Corinthians 18, uh, sorry, 1 Corinthians 1, 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. And look, the Corinthians, the, the people in the church at Corinth have been saved. They are not perishing. Okay, but actually, and as as Paul, um, as Rupert spoke about um, a couple of weeks ago, there's still this wrong idea, this kind of stronghold of wrong thinking that, in order that that had won them over to the the, the slick preachers who had come into town, that somehow the message of the gospel is about being rich and about having status among people and about fitting in and not doing hard labour. When actually Paul's life demonstrates the meaning of what it's like to be a Christian. Yeah, do you know that was a that was a term first used like an insult? Like, oh look, little Christs. Here's the little Christs. We'll make them suffer. 
yet Paul goes oh to live is Christ and he suffered like Christ and to die is gain so what's this got to do with us Apart from being thankful for Paul's message, what's it got to do with us? Well, many of you will know that actually that, that Graham is part of a part of the apostolic team of, of Christ Central Churches. So he goes and serves other churches and helps helps going to them and checking they're okay and building them up and and giving them some supervision and my, uh, and challenging and and sorting out some difficult and sorting out difficult situations Graham that's the guy who leads our church and he is bearing responsibility for other churches as well just you know like Paul's Paul's suffering didn't just stop at shipwreck and stuff. It was like every day, just the weight of carrying all these churches is just so much. Every day, I'm I'm thinking, I've just I'm I'm worried when someone's being tempted to sin. I'm worried when someone's getting to the end of their tether. I'm I'm angry about it. I'm I'm I have to get in and pray spiritually. I can feel it, and I just need to get in and pray in on that because I feel it in my bones. I feel it inside me. We've got a guy really close to us who bears that responsibility for many churches. And how are we, are we releasing him joyfully to do that? Or are we going, and I've done this before. Oh, he's not here. Oh, he's thinking about another church. What about us? What about us? Actually, how are we stepping in to fill that gap? How are we stepping up to make a difference? How are we, if we're stepping up to take, take some of his responsibility, some of his slack, who's stepping into the place that someone else is doing for taking Graham's slack? Who's, who's, step, who's stepping into that position? Are we, are we doing that? Are we remembering that family in prayer that when he's away in Cambodia, when he's, when he's away traveling, that actually that family is a wonderful, busy family and, and the enemy will try and get at it. So we need, to, we need to look after them practically and hold them up in prayer. We really need to hold them up in prayer. But... Apostle doesn't just mean, I'll just look at who has apostolic responsibility now. Apostle just means who's sent, someone who is sent. So actually, it was used as an idea when a battle had been won, okay, and an invading force had come through, and we have killed all the enemy, and right, we're moving on to the next place. But actually, there was no one occupying you can't have soldiers just occupying all the time and just ruling by being soldiers. Actually, you have to come in and influence the thinking. You have to come in and influence the, the arts and, and, 
um, and the finances and the treasury of, of, of that place. So, so uh, an apostle goes in to kind of make sure that, you know, to change the culture of a place. They're one who is sent with authority, not necessarily to kill and break down, but actually to sort of get them on the right track and change, change it to, the, to a new occupation, to change lives to look a lot more like Jesus and to change churches to look like the bride that Paul has promised his church, Paul promised the Corinthian church to Jesus. It needs to look like the bride of Christ. And so, think about people who are sent. Who have we sent? You know, just, uh, just two months ago, we sent John and Val Blundell with an amazing ministry that's, uh, that, has, that has changed this church, an amazing ministry of, of prophetic art. And they are going into Lincolnshire and, and taking those skills and that message and that ministry to churches that desperately need to hear and, and see and be reminded of the messages of God. Essentially, what they're saying is essentially in a forgotten land. Let's remember them. How, how are we praying for John and Val? Is it like, oh, they've gone? No, oh, they've gone. Who? John and Val, who? Or are we going, are we using the gift that they've given us? Are we using how they, are we, are we remembering them in prayer? Are we praying for their family? In a few months, there's going to be more empty chairs here as we send people out into Burton. Burton Family Church is going to be officially meeting on Sundays in 2018. Well, that's, there's, going to be, there's going to be holes here. Are we, how, how are we going to, are we going to be thinking about that now? We're thinking, all oh, right. We've got people to send out. We've got people who are going, who are going with the gospel. They're going church planting. We need to, we need to equip them now. We need to pray for them now. We need to be thinking, who's going to take up the ministries that they're doing here now? Where, there'll, there'll be holes. Who's going to step in? Is, I want to ask, what is our response to remembering Paul and those who are sent? Who can we remember? Even, even those who haven't been sent, but they've moved on to another church. Maybe they've moved on for work. Maybe they've moved on for, to, to be married or moved on just because actually they had a time here and actually they've found, found another fantastic church that actually they, they feel a little bit more at home in. Are we, are we blessing those people? Are we, are we thinking, actually... I just want to pray for them. I want to pick up the phone and just ask how they're doing. Ask how they're settling in. Because, hey, they, they've probably taken a bit of jubilee with them. They've, they've, they've probably taken what God is doing here in this place and flavoring other churches with it. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. So let, let us... Let us remember those who we're sending. And let us be particularly thankful and in prayerful battle 
for those who are just carrying such responsibility. We're going to come into a time of um, a time of healing now. Um, uh, John mentioned this at, at the beginning of the service, and it's just this is so exciting to see. To see a lot of times when we pray, we see God heal people. Isn't that cool? We just don't know how it happens, but we see God do it. And I'm, I'm so excited to see what he'll do. Um, John, how, how do you want to do this? You, do you want to have the band? Okay. Right, so if we could have the band, please. Why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to just want us to pray in response to this word and then we'll we'll and then we'll worship in response. Lord God, thank you for Paul. Thank you that his suffering was like yours. Thank you that by his suffering we got to hear this message. Lord, we want to lift up those who are on our hearts. Apostles who we know. Lord God, as they bear a weight for the church, as they as they carry a burden desperate to see churches planted and knowing you strongly and invigorated by your power. Lord, we ask that you would, you would clothe them with your power like you did Gideon, that there would be no boasting in human ability. Lord God, but that, you would, that they would boast entirely in what you did in those places, in what you're doing in Cambodia. Lord, we thank you for Sitan Lee. Lord, we thank you for Graham. We thank you for Jeremy Simpkins. Lord, be with them. Be with their families. Lord, we pray for a massive blessing upon their families. Lord, we want to ask as we send out to Burton, Lord, you would be on all of those who, have, who are leading and who have thrown their lot in with, with Burton and say, I want to be there. I want to go there. I want to, I want to see your church established in Burton. We pray for Burton Family Church. We lift them high to you and say, look at this beautiful start of a bride. Lord God. And Lord, would you... Would you change our hearts would you open our hearts to see the the people who aren't here anymore the people who have sent out who we've sent out lord would you just help us to see the eternal aspect of that and we ask it in your name lord jesus amen listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.